0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Truly Rachel podcast. On this show, I'll be sharing stories from everyday people doing extraordinary things. I'll be talking about topics affecting our communities and how we together can achieve change. I'll be joined by friends who will be using their voice to cultivate compassion, creativity, and change. I am so glad you've decided to join me on this journey. I hope that it just encourages us to grow together. So let's get right into today's episode. The purpose of this series is to share knowledge with our listeners on a crisis that is affecting our communities and nation. My goal is to equip families with the knowledge and resources to become their own medical advocate. Also to build confidence to speak up and ask the potentially life-saving questions. My hope is to make a positive impact on the medical system, one mother, father, and family at a time through uncovering unconscious bias embedded in the medical system. We must advocate for ourselves and for each other with one common goal to save lives there's a disturbing trend that is happening in the united states and the statistics are stunning according to a recent article in the clinical obstetrics and gynecology journal black women are three to four times more likely to die a pregnancy related death as compared with white women to date A great deal of research has demonstrated that nearly half of severe maternal deaths are preventable, making quality of care a critical component to address racial and ethnic disparities in their occurrence. The data is important, but my passion is for us as a community to check in on new moms. New moms are tired, let's face it. The main goal is to care for new babies and we tend to neglect our health. A recent Harvard Medical Publishing article stated, that four out of five of these deaths happen in the weeks and months before or after birth so they occur not only in hospitals but in our communities and they represent many failures not just unsafe medical care but also a lack of social support necessary for women to recognize medical warning signs like abnormal bleeding as a community it's important for us to check in on new moms and ask about abnormal bleeding breast pain and signs of infection and mental instability, like postpartum depression. Public health experts also warn that this crisis is not just affecting the poor or sick moms, also healthy college-educated african-american women director of the division of reproductive health at the cdc said quote a well-educated african-american woman with more than a high school diploma has a five-fold risk of death compared to a woman with less than a high school degree look at some of the factors that contribute to these numbers they include a bias in the medical system wealth and social income disparities underlying or pre-existing health conditions like preeclampsia and high blood pressure more women waiting at an older age to give birth high blood pressure increased c-section rates toxic stress results of aggression now speaking of toxic stress and aggression there's a physical weathering that takes place when feelings of being treated differently or wrongfully are expressed Feelings of discrimination during pregnancy takes an emotional toll and a sense of being left open and unprotected. Women tend to experience physiological effects from these treatments. It's been said that the body ages internally. The New England Medicine Journal collected 174 studies. In 2013, The Lancet also published a journal stating how women of color are three to four times more likely to be dismissed when reporting pain and distress. I have the pleasure to be joined by Dr. Lisa Giddens-Williams. She's a professor in the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Women's Health at Rutgers, New Jersey Medical School. She's a maternal fetal medicine specialist and is the director of obstetrics at University Hospital in Newark. Thank you so much, Dr. Giddens, for joining us today as we discuss this really important topic of African-American maternal mortality that's been affecting many communities, our communities. Dr. Giddens, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. So in June 2018, tennis pro Serena Williams told Vanity Fair about her journey to motherhood, including the story of how she nearly died a few days after giving birth to her daughter. Uh, Serena reports that she had to fight for her voice to be heard when she was suffering from a life-threatening condition after the delivery of her daughter. She was able to articulate the conditions of her body and push for the necessary interventions. Many women of color feel like their reports of pain are ignored or seen as exaggerated. What do you think is the root of that form of treatment and how can that be addressed to the medical community?
1: Well, Serena's experience really largely echoes the experience of many women of color when they access the healthcare system, particularly for maternal health. Serena complained of, Of pain, which was consistent with her having a pulmonary embolism. And she had had one before. So she was reporting that she felt the same way. And pulmonary embolism is a life-threatening condition. But in fact, the team that was taking care of her did not listen to her. Fortunately, she survived and she got the treatment that she needed. But if you've heard of the case of Kara Johnson in California, she was bleeding after delivery. And her family, her husband in fact, called for help, and his complaints and her, her complaints were ignored by the healthcare system. So this is a systemic problem, and this is what is related to the increase in maternal morbidity and mortality that Black women experience. It is that they are not heard, and their complaints are not heard, and their voices are not heard.
0: Well, I, I like how you said that, you mentioned how they feel like they're not heard, and their voices are not heard. Well, it also, which leads us into our next question. Um, I'd like to discuss that bizarre notion that black people have a higher pain tolerance than their white counterparts in other races. So what is that the root of this practice of not being heard or being ignored? And how can we, you know, debunk this practice and address it with medical professionals? So
1: relative to pain there have been actual studies, one by the National Academy of Sciences, that reported that healthcare professionals, including, um, ch- medical trainees, felt that black people had a higher pain threshold. In fact, that they did not experience pain in the same way as, as white patients. And in fact, that they had different nerve endings. So these are completely unscientific, um, thoughts or findings. yet in fact, it's been largely, largely and appropriately documented that these are the experiences. So until you um, destroy the false narrative, until you destroy the false narrative, you will not be able to have black patients be seen and their pain treated appropriately. It is quite clear that oftentimes in emergency rooms, black patients do not get the same attention. They do not get the same pain medication. As, as white patients. When this translates to maternal health, pain is l- the largest experience that women, w- women present to the hospital with when they in fact are in labor. So if we are not able to identify pain In black patients or pain in black women, we may not be able to pick up signs of preterm labor. We may not be able to pick up signs of labor in and of itself so that the outcomes can become worse for black women. The
0: historical medical events that took place in the United States, such as like the Tuskegee study where black men were infected with syphilis, were left untreated for research purposes with Dr. Marion Simmons, known as... Father of gynecology, where he conducted medical research and operated on enslaved women in very unethical ways. Um, going back to destroying, as you mentioned, Doctor Giddens, destroying the false narrative and these these myths where it's like pain. We have a higher pain threshold, nerve endings, which hold no scientific proof or evidence. Uh, just so going back to those evidence in in our history in the United States within the medical community. Um, It just, it really helps to understand the root of some of that. And also Henrietta Lacks and her cells being used for medical research. Now, do you see the issue of the distrust of people of color in the U.S. towards medical institutions getting closer to a resolution, or is this an ongoing or unaddressed issue that is just being left untouched or
1: unaddressed? I think that the Black Lives Matter movement has opened the door for us to have the conversation about Black Mamas Matter. And so we know that the maternal health crisis, and it is a crisis across the board, because we are fully aware that there are about 700 maternal deaths in the United States. And the United States has the highest h- highest maternal mortality rate of the developed world. But the undercurrent of that is that Black women die three to four times more often than do white women. We are not three to four times the population. So we know that there is this crisis. And I believe that the Black Lives Matter movement, bringing to light the way that people, the way that black men are seen in the streets, by the police, in the public, in, in their very daily lives of moving about, whether it's to the supermarket or, or to the park, whether it's bird watching or running. Now that we begin to see the way that Black people are seen, we can then shed some light on the way that Black women are seen in the healthcare system and the way that Black people are seen in the healthcare system. So that distrust, which is based on history, right? because racism is based on a history, that distrust is going to be present in the healthcare system until we address it at its very root. So until we address that there is equitable healthcare, not just access, but that women are seen. And so they are not seen as other, but the M in the mother makes them seen the same way that other mothers are seen when they access the healthcare system. So until we change that, we will not change the black patient experience in the healthcare system until the hospitals have equal resources, because it's very clear that resources in communities of color are lower. It's clear that There are fewer nutritionists, there are fewer genetic counselors, there are fewer resources for the patient. Just as there are food deserts, there are deserts within the hospitals, within these urban areas. And so until the access becomes equal, until the resources become equal, and then until the way the patients are treated at the door becomes equal, not being seen as the other, we will always have this distrust. It will take generations, but it starts with training and understanding about bias and how racism is in the healthcare system. We we really do have to acknowledge that. And until that is acknowledged and that is addressed, these problems will continue.
0: Now, I recognize that there has been a huge outpouring of Uh, you know, protests within the medical community where it's like, you know, white coats for Black lives. Do you think that this is, we're on the precipice of something huge taking place where, like you mentioned, I love that phrase that you just mentioned, Black Mamas Matter. Do Do you see that, you know, trickling into the healthcare to make a real change? I would say that the maternal health crisis
1: has brought to bear many changes, and some of them are very good. We know that some of the um, increase in maternal mortality is related to things like poor communication in the health system. We know that it's related to um, management of hemorrhage and treatment of hypertension. And so there mm-hmm. have been national initiatives to address the healthcare system itself and train the providers to be able to identify these problems and train the patient to be able to be. Her, her own and her family, their own advocate for some of these problems. And these patient safety bundles have also demanded attention to bias and to address racial disparities. So that is has been there. But I would say that the undertone and the undercurrent of that, and perhaps I believe that what's happening nationally will change that, The undertone and the undercurrent is, well, is it really racism and how do we measure that and how do we know? But as an advocate for patient safety, I can tell you that the patient safety movement started when we recognized that people were getting wrong site surgery because we weren't marking that it was supposed to be the left leg and not the right leg to be amputated. And many things were happening. Errors were happening, medical errors, because we didn't have good communication and we started to fix it right away. And medicine is grounded on the randomized controlled clinical trial. And unless you study it, unless you measure it, and unless they can capture it in a graph, then oftentimes science and medicine doesn't believe that something is true. But we cannot do a randomized trial on racism. We cannot do a randomized trial where we say, treat this person with microaggression and racism and let's see what happens. We have to fix it. And so I do believe that now is the time that there is now a tension. I think that the COVID-19 crisis and the disparities that are coming to light and how this disease is disproportionately affecting communities of color, and that would be not only African American communities, but like Hispanic American communities and the uh, Native American communities. When we see how it is disproportionately affecting those communities, we have to stop and ask ourselves, what is the role Of racism? What is the role of bias? And so I think that this time is good now for mothers. And I think that 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 M, putting that M back in the mother so that she's not seen as just the other, the other person that comes, the other person whose pain gets dismissed. For whatever reason, we have to really address the biases that create this problem. There have been studies that actually show that when when given the face of a white person in pain, that the, the, um, the attendees and the persons that were studied were actually able to perceive and recognize pain on the face of a white person more frequently and more often than they were on the face of a black person. So that is just a bias. And we have to recognize that we um, all come forward with those. They are from whence we came. They are from whence we were raised. And the medical community right. in any given institution, particularly in academic institutions, you have three, four generations of people in the same workspace. And you are you will mm-hmm. not you will not correct this by having a lecture on bias. You will not correct it by making everyone do an implicit bias training. You have to address it really at its core, and it has to be a across the board, wide sweep. And recognition of the fact that these these biases exist and these disparities exist. And when we see them and call them for what they are, and then when we put our money where our mouth is, and that is into not just programs and not just access to care, but to ensure that at that level, that very level of care, that everyone is getting equal care and those that need more get more we will really not be able to address this. But I do think that the time, particularly for women's health, the time is right, right now. And so some of the ways that you change that are, one, you improve access. Two, you improve, um, you improve health insurance so that people can actually get care. You improve maternity leave so that mothers can Go back to work and or stay home from work, not fearing to lose their jobs. We know we know that um, African American women are predominantly and disproportionately frontline workers. We know that right now in this coronavirus crisis. So you have to make mm-hmm. sure that they have access to all of the things that will protect their health and that will protect and improve their outcome. And then at the, you know, at the system level, you have to make sure that the care that is given to patients in communities of color is really the same as the care that's given to other communities. And that means that money has to be dumped into those those hospitals so that they have equal resources. Because healthcare is not equal.
0: I completely agree and I love how you're bringing light to this because there's a concept, and especially during this climate, where you know there's we, everyone is just so passionate about something that's so dear to them and, and injustice, uh, physical weathering. And I would love for you to discuss that, meaning their bodies age faster than. White women, a lot of African American women, um, and of other race, due to exposure to chronic stress linked to socioeconomic disadvantage, discrimination over the life course, making pregnancy riskier. These disadvantages include crime, housing, poverty. I would love for you to explain that in more details, and also have you noticed a difference in mental wellness of your patients from higher socioeconomic backgrounds versus those of a lower ec- economic backgrounds or incomes. So
1: the concept of weathering is that chronic stress changes your genetics and increases your risk factor for multiple illnesses. And this is a concept that has been floated around for quite some time. And there's actually biologic basis for it in that telomeres, which are part of your genetic material, are actually shortened, which decrease your lifespan by chronic stress. So whether it's the stress of poor housing, whether it's the stress of food insecurity, whether it's the stress of financial problems, chronic stress can impact your overall health. And we also know that exposure to things called ACEs, which are adverse childhood events. So these are things that can happen in your home. If there's stress in your home, if there's violence, exposure to violence, these types of things overall affect your health. And it's very clear that these can shorten your lifespan. And so when women, particularly women of color, are exposed to this weathering, these chronic stress conditions, it does affect their overall health. So that is the concept of weathering. Um, Unfortunately, the Black maternal health outcome data supports that the poor outcomes happen at every socioeconomic group. So Serena Williams was not poor. Um, Kara Johnson was not a poor w- woman, but in fact, they suffered right. at the hands of the healthcare system that, that did not value their voice and did not listen to their experiences. And so money will not help you. It does improve your health outcome in general. Being more educated, having a higher socioeconomic group, having health insurance, these things all lead to an improvement in your overall health. Make no mistake about that. But at the same time, Black women still disproportionately suffer even at higher socioeconomic groups. And that is where the whole attention to bias and racism has to be taken into account.
0: I, I love that, and I, I I think that like for example, even with me a personal experience was um at at like a thirty five week thirty five weeks with my son I was I received a call from the doctor's office not from my actual OB but from one of the nurses and she was sharing that you know your your baby is weighing really heavy and really overweight we would like for you to come back in and take some tests like blood sugar tests and we wanted to consider keeping keeping a close watch on you or bed rest or because this was my second baby, I told them that, you know, my babies are usually heavy, um, and that I passed my pre-gestational diabetes test. I and then I spoke with my husband and we just discussed it in more details. And I from that point, even though I was not in danger person, this kind of fueled my passion to become my own self-advocate and also to help and equip other women as much as I can through sharing information from professionals like you. What do you think we can do as the patients, as the, the young moms to advocate for ourselves? Like in the instance for Kira Johnson's when, she, you know, I know this happened for, to her. her, the hemorrhaging and the bleeding happened to her at the hospital, but in many cases it happens postpartum. A lot of the fatalities are postpartum. So how can we educate ourselves and how can we help each other as a community to look out for signs and how to articulate those symptoms or any kind of red flags that may come up? So I think that
1: we first need to recognize that there is a crisis. And so that same crisis that's happening in the streets to black men is happening in the hospital to black women and to mothers. And we have to recognize that there is this crisis and we have to come together as a community And the larger organization of the government, social service organizations, has to recognize that there is a crisis. You know, I would say that in New Jersey, we're very fortunate to have the work of um, Tammy Murphy, First Lady Tammy Murphy. She is very much an advocate for this issue of Black women's health and health disparities and doing many things to improve it. So one of the things that that is being done in New Jersey and in fact nationwide is the role of a doula so a doula is a birth support person. And many hospitals, in fact, um, the governor of New York and also in, in New Jersey, they have also supported these doula programs and provided funding for them so that women can have a birth attendant in addition to a family member, but someone who can also be her advocate so that when her voice is not heard, they can be a second pair of eyes, a second voice to p- protect and support the birth outcome of women. So, that is one way that the community can come together to improve maternal outcomes. The second is to provide real education. So, many, there are many educational initiatives to provide women and their families, they have to know about these post-birth warning signs because in fact, 50% of maternal deaths occur in the postpartum period. So women need to know when to come back and it's okay to come back and when they should voice a complaint because the problem can happen in the hospital, but the problem can also um, happen at home. So those are the two, those are two really important ways that women can um, advocate for themselves. Um, But also, they also have to demand that the healthcare system sees them. They have to demand that at the level of government, that there are policies made and that there are protocols so that there is implicit bias training and that there is, in fact, reporting. Um, There is reporting for patients when they have an untoward experience. The state of California um, did a study um, which is actually also posted on the California quality collaborative site where they asked women of different races about their experience. And black women were much more often likely to report that they had, um, they were treated harshly, that they were not listened to. And so the lived experience of women needs to be heard. And if it's not going to be heard In a survey, there needs to be a way at each hospital level where these types of things can be reported. Because, Rachel, right now, everybody is on YouTube or Instagram. And every untoward thing (laughs) that is happening, every racist and biased thing is being recorded. But that's not necessarily happening in the labor room. But that doesn't mean that it's not happening and that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that it's not happening in the triage area or in the emergency room. And so it has to be the lived experience of these women or of women in general that gets listened to and that's where, you know, advocacy is really important.
0: Oh, uh, that's that is just so fascinating on so many levels even to learn about what Tammy Murphy is doing, and what stood out to me the most of what what you said was recognize that there is a crisis happening.
1: I can tell you that um, the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, which is the the largest society to which I belong, several years ago they re- they recognized mm-hmm. that we were paying a lot of attention to um, fetal health and the, the newborn, but we were not paying mm-hmm. attention to the mothers. So they started this movement, put the M back in MFM and let's care about the mother because the mothers are dying and we need to have trained doctors to take care of diabetes and hypertension and heart disease. So they wanted to put that M back in. And so I would say for the Black Mamas Matter movement, and that is already a movement, I did not call that, but we have to put the M back in mother because otherwise, if we are seeing, if the healthcare system is seeing her as the other as the other brown person, as the non-face, as the I don't recognize pain, as I do not hear her voice, that she's not a person, she's a non-person. We have Mm -hmm. to put the
0: M back in so that the mothers are all mothers. You know, As a mom of two small children, they need us. And it's it's important. So I I thank you for all of your work and, and thank you for being with me on the show and sharing your knowledge. Thank you so much, Rachel, I appreciate it. I'll be sharing resources in my show notes. Log on to everymothercounts.org to learn how you can contact your local Congress representative to pass laws that support and protect women and extend insurance coverage to lower-income women.